Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Inner Light with Ellen podcast. I have uh, today my guest, Edline Francois, uh, in what is actually the first of two episodes. We're doing a two-parter this time. Um, but today I'm talking with Edline about her work in um, helping organizations develop an anti-bias lens, especially within their executive leadership. Uh, it's a great conversation, um, incredibly timely with where we are as a country, as um, people all over, I think, country and world are looking internally both at themselves and uh, contemplative about what it is to develop an anti-racist lens. And then for many workplaces, I know that there are many organizations that have been putting forward the effort to do the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion for a while now. And so there's a moment of stopping and assessing, have we done enough? Are we doing the right things? And how are we moving forward, especially? And there are also organizations that are just starting those conversations. And so I was really happy to sit down with Edline and, and talk through some of those things with her. So we, we, will, we will tackle that today. And then she'll be back for um, a follow-up episode after this one. Welcome to the Inner Light with Ellen podcast. In each episode, learn from thought leaders in health, wellness, mindfulness, leadership, and personal development. These folks have helped themselves and others to craft the solutions and strategies to live the life they want to be living. Listen in as these brilliant minds share their knowledge, wisdom, and spirit to inspire you to live a life you love. Welcome to the morning show with Ellen and Edline. Woohoo! Woohoo! Good morning, good morning. All right. Good morning, Edline. Um, for folks who are listening, um, welcome to the Inner Light with Ellen podcast. It's a beautiful Wednesday morning here in June. I am with my friend, Edline Francois. Um, Edline, who I continue to look for excuses to connect with, find opportunities to potentially partner. Um, she's doing a lot of great work in the world. Um, so I'll introduce you to her. Um, so she, um, Edline is a, a public health disparities uh, researcher, that's her initial background, but she's also a facilitator and an organizational development consultant focused on courageous conversations on race in the workplace. Please introduce yourself a little bit more. Tell us, tell us about yourself. Thank you so much, Ellen. Like you are always a great joy and gem to be around. So thank you so much for having me on your show today. Um, as you said, I am a facilitator, community uh, developer, and organizational development consultant with five years of experience in the public health disparities research area, of which I transferred um, most of my skills into consulting for organizations on the executive level. Um, I also do individual coaching and also talk to individuals and agencies about courageous conversations, breaking dialogue into diversity, equity, and inclusion using my background. So that's just a little bit about me. Just yeah, um, there's so much to there's so much to unpack in all of this. Um, I don't want to assume that the audience listening knows a lot about all of these topics. So um, let's break down a few things for them first. I'm trying to think what might be be the best one. Like let's talk about the why. Why is it important to talk about an anti-bias lens? in the workplace, and maybe particularly since you work at the executive level, often the executive uh, layer of organizations, corporations, and businesses. Absolutely. So it's important for us to even have this conversation now because of the current climate within the nation. Um, we do understand that our structure 
within our nation is more capitalistic and more corporation-based. Hence, a lot of power and wealth is coming from the 1%, but who makes up that demographic? Um, And it's usually not people of color. It's usually not Black voices that are being amplified. And these, in this type of environment, you do have to address why is that not happening? Why why do we not have a lot more Black voices at the executive level making decisions um, that impact communities far more than policy? So understanding the why behind that and having an anti-bias lens is paramount when you're when you're when you're when you're thinking about the holistic view of what our nation is shifting towards today. I really appreciate the distinction that you just said, because I tend to work mostly with government agencies when I'm doing um, anti-bias work. And I don't work in the private sector very often. My connections are in governments and in nonprofit. And so I really appreciate this lens because I do work more in a space that starts to influence policy Mm -hmm. and policy development for how things come down in terms of like the machinations of government. But I so appreciate it because businesses have internal policies and internal culture and Mm -hmm. not everyone works directly with government. Heck, half the time folks don't really get how you can change government, how you can push systems. So when we're looking at like, I almost feel this really strong sense of immediacy and urgency when I hear you talk about the opportunities in private sectors to work at the executive level with those who have concentrated wealth and power to change culture quickly and faster than like government can legislate. Um, I think that's really interesting. And I uh, personally hadn't really even kind of made that big connection just because of where I've been working for such a long time. Is there anything more in there that you'd like to highlight? Um, I'd like to highlight uh, just what you what you said in a little bit um, more more grassroot level. Okay. Um, I feel that both of our work sometimes takes us back to our roots, to the community at least, um, to be able to develop uh, advocacy for policies and to be able to understand what our community needs. So shifting behaviors, shifting culture using this type of language on the executive level and using an anti-bias lens, it bleeds out into the community. So it also engulfs the surrounding parts within a within the private sector that we don't even know that the private sector is influencing. So that's another reason why we should also use an anti-bias lens when, when we're talking about the workplace, especially in executive spaces. Thank you for bringing it back to that. One of the things that I'm noticing right now with uh, it being June 17th, um, we're going into the third week of protests in Black Lives Matter. And um, we're still amidst a pandemic. I feel like this blends your background quite well, public health and racial disparities. It's like, boom, here's the explosion. Um, And what I have already started to receive are inquiries around um, facilitation support for different organizations who are Mm -hmm. amplifying and accelerating their pursuit of racial equity and learning how to become a more justice-oriented organization. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So as folks are stepping in, I, I do also feel that there's a sense of people um, feeling a little bit reactionary right now. They're mm-hmm. like, oh my, you know, and this, and I, I mean this about folks who are really well-intentioned. Wow, we don't reflect our community. Oh my gosh, I don't think that we're amplifying or even embracing like diversity. You know, folks will use the word diversity. 
So can you talk about a few pieces in there, maybe first in what people should be thinking about as they prepare to engage in the work? Absolutely. Uh, that's, that's perfect. I think the first thing that people should be thinking about is language, right? So how are you communicating um how are you communicating this message? Um, is this performative? Is this, is this, and what kind of actions are you going to uh, follow up with to make sure that it's not performative? Language, language is a big key to this. And it's, it's interesting that you said diversity because I am starting to really think about the use, our use of that word. And sometimes it can even especially um, in, in executive spaces, it can seem um, as a form of, of um, tokenism. And it can, it can also, it can also, um, you know, fuel bias, you know, towards checking a box instead of being inclusive because it's, it's just a great way to be. Um, and I think that language is very, very important. I was reading the other day on LinkedIn, um, there was a post from like an HR manager who said that I am no longer using um, these adjectives, strong, strong-willed, determined um, to describe Black women because it perpetuates white supremacy in ways that you cannot even fathom. That but all of the oppression of uh, black women having to educate people on her struggles and also their behaviors that make her struggle. So it's put on this woman and I will not use these words to describe black women. I think that's really strong and that speaks to language and being able to convey a message that you are in this, not just for the moment, but you're, you're making lasting changes for now in seven generations in the future. And I think that's a great way to start. I'm really appreciating, and you used language right there in two different kind of distinct spaces. So first, the word diversity. What does it mean when we say diversity? Do we mean just making our board look different? Does it mean just making our executive leadership look different? Or is there something more? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, what does it feel like or what does it look like to start doing actions beyond diversity. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's really strange. I think that it's a combination of a few things. Number one, amplification of voices that you have never heard before. Whether it's trans voices, whether it's Latinidad, whether it's Asian voices that you've never heard before, amplification of those. And what does that mean exactly? That means being able to step aside and stand and listen without being reactive. That sometimes is really hard for us because we want to defend ourselves. We're great people. We do great work. Sometimes we mess up and we apologize, but it's really hard for us in this moment to, I feel sometimes to just stand with the discomfort and listen to people share their experiences and, and see how you can change your behavior based on that person's experience. So say, for example, if this, the narrative is being said that when I walk by someone, they clutch their purse. So then you examine in yourself 
have I done that before? If I have done that, what caused me to do that? And it is going to take some introspection. It is going to take some work on your part. But I think starting there can help you lead to not being performative and not saying, I'm going to just do a training and hopefully this all goes away. So I think that's one step. It's a lot of little steps to think take. Yeah. I think also another step, and this is really interesting. I was on a board and um, we, I was of course one of the co-chairs tasked with implementing um, diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies for the organization that was homogenous in its structure and demographics, but <clears throat> we we had to come down and, and have a talk about how are members being introduced to the organization and how are board members being referred. Um, and it was an internal colleague referral system in which that's one of the reasons why it was so homogenous. Um, and we we came myself and my co-chair came to the to the understanding that there there is sometimes where people literally have to put other candidates aside to usher in voices that they've never heard before so that doesn't mean necessarily that you you're you're pushing all all the applicants who are caucasian who are asian aside that doesn't necessarily mean that but it means in order for you to really diversify and, and really be inclusive, you have to make decisions where you're, you're ushering in or you're promoting people who are not homogenous, who are not of dominant and traditional culture, so that you can reach this level of diversity, inclusion, as it is appropriate for your organization. So here's here's one of the questions I think in the secret hidden back corner of people's minds, they might be wondering sometimes, hey, I'm in a business, my business does X. I don't really understand why the minds and bodies around me who all, you know, maybe are all Caucasian, um, they're all like, you know, five, 10 year friends of mine who we've been working together. We work really great. Like, mm -hmm. why do I, and my business is very successful, right? Let's say I'm like, you know, I've got like $5 million a year in revenue. Maybe it's, I don't know how big that is because my business is tiny. I'm a one person operation. I don't make 5 million a year, but, um, like they're happy, they're successful. They pay their employees well. They have like good benefits. You know, they've got great vacation time and their lifestyle is good and they don't see a hit in their market for mm -hmm. any of this. What's mm -hmm. the argument for that person to create a culture that has an anti-bias lens and sees different people coming in through the door? What's their, what's the motivation for them? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a the, that's a great question, and that's that's a loaded question. Um, yeah. What what I would first think about is why asking or that person asking themselves why is it that I do not have a diverse team? There's, I mean, there's countless studies out there that's saying having a diverse team leads to more productivity or having a diverse group of managers leads to uh, more productivity, executives, all of that is tied to productivity. And if you're happy with your productivity 
and you're thinking that there's nowhere else to go, then you're stunting your growth, aren't you? So I think that it's, it's really important for that business owner who is unmotivated at the moment, or who is really happy with where they're, they're at. And forgive me, but uh, complicity is, is, is synonymous to ignorance at this point. So if, if you're in a dominant or traditional um, like demographic for your business, if that's the case, then I would encourage that person to make it personal by first asking themselves, why do I not have this? What is it that is holding me back to get more people of color into my business because I know it will be good, but what is it that's causing that? And then you can start looking at the organization. You can start looking at the culture. You can start looking at other things. And another excuse that businesses love to make is that, well, Oregon's population of Blacks are are less is less than 10%. We can't find anybody who is qualified. Or I just can't find anyone and I'm just, then you have to start looking at your networks. Who, who is within your network that is not able to connect you with a great person, a great candidate? And if that's the case, then you need to expand your network. That's just my little tidbit. Thank you. <laughs> How do you, when you work with somebody or like a, an executive team that's interested in trying to grapple with pursuing, you know, racial equity work or is building an anti-bias lens within their organization? Because they do see the benefit. Like, let's say they've read the studies, they see the benefit, but they smack up into the fear of that inner reflection because they want it to be an external problem to solve and not an internal problem to solve. Mm-hmm. What are some of the strategies that you use to help people sort of like get over that little hump? To me, when I when I run into those challenges, first and foremost, I acknowledge the fear. I acknowledge the fear head on and say, I completely understand what's going on with you right now. You're you're t- you're you're being silent, whatever is causing you to be silent. I'd like to also help you connect that to your end goal, which is making more profit. And by you being stagnant and staying in this this realm, it's not going to help your team be more productive. And that in turn is going to affect your profit. So I think when you connect it to economics and you connect it to money, it's a little bit easier Mm -hmm. um, than you actually trying to help someone do introspective work who is not there yet. But that's one of the strategies that I would say, think about where you are in your stage and how that challenge, when you do overcome it, will help your team and your business not only be better, but be more productive um, and also more inclusive. So having an anti-bias lens does does include the CEO to be able to have some sort of introspection. But if you're not ready for that, then how does that, how does that help or hurt your bottom line? I'm hearing a few things actually from you when you kind of break it down this way. And the first one you did is you said, I see where you're at and I know that it's scary. So there is a validation of that person's humanity as well. That Like this is an emotionally hot topic. It can be very um, defense creating or shame and guilt, like white fragility, like white fragility or guilt feeling like all of those pieces can come into play really quickly. And so I hear you saying, 
I see this happening and not in a shaming way, but in a way that's like you are having these feelings. And then I'm hearing you link it to a couple things to help them make the bridge. Because if they're a business owner, they are concerned with profitability. They've got bills to pay, payroll to make, um, product to sell or services to vend. So I'm hearing like, so help, like, it's like a guidepost to kind of walk them through the tough feelings. Like, let's look at the why we're doing this work to get us to the other side. But I'm also like, and I don't think you've quite said it. So I'm, I mean, I'm going to extract it. There's like a reminder too. probably all of these businesses have mission statements and they all have some sort of like vision and values document hanging mm-hmm. out somewhere. Where do you build in that process to kind of walking through that? Like, is there an opportunity to connect it back in? Because the values of the business, I'm thinking like with the CEO, it's often a little bit of their personal values, right? Because it's it's always their baby. And then so it's like, how how do you help them kind of connect those pieces? So understanding their missions and values and being able to tease apart lines that are validating in a way to this process. So if your business mission is to, for example, use X product to help communities develop, build together, your group, your employees are all homogenous and not from the communities that you're wanting or your mission statement is saying to help, and you're wanting to make that bridge, then we need to tease out that part and understand why did you write that in the first place? Okay, so here's your fear. And let's walk through that using the lens of your mission statement and your values, because that's what you want for your business. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, Who's your favorite kind of person to work with? My favorite clients are, am I giving like a personality or just like, okay, so personality, personality, yeah, anything, yeah. I would love to, I love to work with people who, who are in the weeds of understanding or trying to grasp these concepts. It feels like someone slamming a <laughs> concrete brick on your head and you're like, I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know what's going on. I am afraid. I I, I, I just don't know. So I, I love to work with people who, who are in that stage. I also love to work with people who are um, at the point where they understand that their culture is 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 in need of a transformation and don't know exactly where to break that ice, where to start breaking that ice because it's it's only the tip of the berg and there's a whole ice sheet underneath the ocean, but they only want to break that little part and they don't know where to start because it can cause an avalanche. Right. So I, I I love to work with with teams and and individuals who are in those stages and help them facilitate these courageous conversations, create trainings, workshops, templates um, on next steps and strategic planning on approaches. Um, for their missions and their values, if we have to rewrite the policies and bylaws and so on and so forth. So I, I really love to be in those kind of spaces, being able to, to help people facilitate those kind of conversations. That would be like the, that feels great. That's, that would feel ideal to reach out to somebody like you to help them walk through this work. 
Exactly. So Edline, this has been like a super powerful conversation. Um, one of the questions that I'm wondering, kind of getting back to the original just statement of what we're talking about today is how to create an anti-bias lens in an executive space. I want to know after you've, you've finished working with a team, and I know the journey is ongoing. I know that there's no like like process, the, the process itself, I know is part of the product of like what the learning that happens on the way is a big part of the outcomes. When you've wrapped with somebody and they're kind of walking through this like new territory, what does that look and feel like when they've created steps to creating a more inclusive culture within the, the executive space? What does that feel like? Um, it, it looks and feels like you're honoring the, the, the executive. You're honoring them in terms of being an executive, being a mastermind. They're able to, to, to speak their mind, not speak their mind without repercussions, but being able to, in some cases, I, I've seen, you know, executives just, when they speak their minds, they're, they're, not, they're not taken seriously. And having an anti-bias lens and doing all of this work, and of course, it's an ongoing process, but when you reach that point of which you've done the work, your workplace, you'll, you'll see the effects of it because not only will you have more productivity, but you'll have a more cohesive executive realm, um, a less tensioned executive space where people can know that they can show up and they can, they can, um, talk about not only work, but also, what is going on that is creating a toxic culture without retaliation, without repercussions. You know, people are showing up as themselves without fear of being ousted. Um, so those are the things that will basically be little signals that, okay, this is, this is, this is great. So mm -hmm. what we just went through, that storm that we just went through was worth it because this is this is great. I can see the progress. I can definitely see the progress. So that's what I believe. Thank you. Um, your what you also just said reminded me that you have done work organizing affinity groups in workplaces as mm -hmm. as organizations are on the journey. Can you talk a little bit about that kind of work that you've done? Yeah, absolutely. Having affinity groups is really important during this time because not only executives are feeling this kind of um, tension within these spaces, but employees are also feeling the tension. They're also feeling the um, the separation. And in some cases, they're feeling the, the heaviness of these conversations and being able to have a support group with peers and talking to your peers about what exactly is going on in a truthful, safe courageous way is another another mechanism and approach to um, solidifying the organization's movement towards having an anti-bias lens. Thank yeah. you. And I um I I want to let people know that I'm gonna have Edline back and we're gonna talk more specifically around affinity groups, what role they can play in the workplace. Um, but we're gonna wrap right now. Thank you so much, Edline. Is there anything on the topic of creating an anti-bias culture within the executive level of an organization that you wanna say as we wrap up um, today's podcast? Yeah, I'm just gonna say something just very cliche, just do it. Just jump in and just do it. 
Thank you so much, Edline. And I will talk to we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you again. Thanks so much for making time in your day to listen to this episode with Edline. Um, Edline is available to support organizations stepping into this work. And I will leave um, Edline's contact information in the description for this episode where you can reach out to her. Thank you so much.